real pure worship. When we talk about worship, and most people immediately talk about singing, and, and worship is more than just singing to God. Uh, we need to worship Him, and even the studying of the Word, and in our time of prayer, it's a, it's a form of devotion or completely surrendering yourself daily throughout the day to our Lord in a form of just a form of worship where there's a form of gladness and gratefulness and and just understanding and pondering on and and telling him so of the mercy and the grace that he has. But it's also, we will see tonight, God had very much a plan for the nation of Israel that not only are they to worship in song, yes, to, to listen to his word and be obedient, yes, but there was also importance of the place as well. And we're going to see that tonight in these two chapters, especially here in chapter 12 of Deuteronomy. The first four verses, we're going to see the place of worship that God was calling the nation of Israel to, to be at. And they couldn't just pick wherever they wanted to go. They were being led and told by God where to be. And watch, look, look at this in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 12. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord your God, your fathers, is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall disposes, dispose of, disposes, serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars and break their sacred pillars and burn their wooden images with fire. And you shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. So when you take a look at this, and the very first thing he really kind of emphasizes, you shall not utterly destroy all the places. What places are these? Well, if you remember, they were coming into pagan land, and in pagan land, they were to take possession of that land, and they were to make it God's land. That means they had to get anything that is not of God in their life now, where they were dwelling, had to get out. It had to be removed. There was no negotiations. You didn't walk into a place and decide where you walk into a house and say, oh, I think I'm going to keep that. And I'm going to, no, no, I throw that away. And no, no, I'll go to this. I like that. And that's not ours, but we'll keep it anyway. And we'll take it. No, no. God says it's got to be cleaned out before anyone could worship God. There must be some places where we no longer worship. They were no longer to worship in this pagan land. As they go into this land, anything where there was false gods being worshipped had to go. No remnants of it at all. And it's true for us in our lives. When we come and become born again, we have no longer can we worship. No longer can we even utter the fact and even have anything in our lives that used to worship. And have as an idol and a God and just a little God that was on, that, on the wall or in that, whatever it may be. It must be destroyed of that place where there was ungodly worship taking place. It had to go. And that's everyone has a different un ungodly 
thing in their lives when they come to Christ and they're working that out. God sanctifies it, working those things out of your life. And once it's brought to light that that is not to be in your life any longer, you're no longer to put away those childish things. You're growing up. You don't do those things anymore. And what was happening is the practice in the ancient world, which was always short on buildings. We think of all kinds of buildings today. Pick a choice. We'll take any building and convert it into a church. A church building. But they didn't have a lot of buildings back then. You had to think about it. Really? And, and was to take these nice buildings, such as a temple that was previously used for worship by the prior pagan gods... They simply cannot take that beautiful temple, that temple, beautiful place on the hill, because they would always build it on the highest places so people could see it. They would always have it under the most beautiful trees and gardens and stuff to worship and these pagan gods that worship the creation and not the creator. And worship all kinds of gods that represented uh, you know, fertility and, and all Ashtoreth and, and all these different gods and they could not keep those. It didn't matter how beautiful they were. It didn't matter how gorgeous in the setting and stuff. If that was a place where a false god was there in worship, it had to be utterly destroyed and no remnants of it whatsoever. And that's what God said. Shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. What things? Anything that was attached to this pagan worship, this worldly things. And this is where the worship of many is corrupted. It isn't that they worship too little. That's not the problem with most people. They worship too much. But when they worship, they're not worshiping the Lord. They're worshiping the things of the world. And God doesn't want such worship. It's an abomination to him. It goes against his nature. And who he is. And so God said to the people there in Israel, You have got to get rid of that. Now, we must learn and grow spiritually to learn how to worship God in spirit and truth. We see that in John chapter 4, verse 24. And if we would only destroy in their hearts this pagan places of worship, because they have given their hearts to so many other things in this world. We, they focus on the things of this world and the things people worship and things that exalt and highlight. And it could be the person who in their favorite. You know, what, I don't want to get into the movies and all the musics and all these movie stars and all of these places and jobs and organizations. I mean, there's just sports and I mean it just goes on and on and on and so many people don't see them as being a god to them or a form of worship but I'm telling you what the basic conversation or basic understanding of what worship is where do you spend your time and your money and your energy and priorities I mean these are gods this is a form of worship that cannot be more of a priority than worshiping the god that saved us and so anything that competes against our time of worshiping God and giving everything, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength to God, the Lord who saved us, there are other things we'll compete against that and we must fight against that 
and take those out. As God reveals those, that's got to go. That's got to go. You've got to go. Even on the high mountain, how beautiful it is. On the hills and under the, every green tree. God didn't want Israel to adopt this approach of worshiping the create, creature rather than the creator. We see that warning in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Now, not only is the place needs to be right, but we also see that the command from God here to worship is, has to be at a God's appointed place. Look at what happens in verse 5 through 9. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. Do, you want me, do I have to read that again for you? Where the Lord your God chooses. Oh, how many times do I have people? Yes, I understand. And that just tells me that it just... You know, they depends on what comes out of their mouth. You really can tell that they really don't understand. They're looking for what they want, what they think is best. They're leaning on their own understanding of what church they should go to and where God wants them to use them in the body of Christ versus coming and sitting and waiting for God to show them and trusting Him leading them to where you're going to come and to serve. No, no. Here, Israel, the, the people of Israel had to go to the place where the Lord your God chose out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, the firstborn of your herds and flocks, and there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all unto which you have put your hand, and you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today. Every man doing whatever in the right, whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. So worship was not left to the opinion or the feeling of the individual. That individual Israelite did not have the ability to say, I don't feel like that. I don't, I, that's, not, that's not what I'm thinking. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to. They are to be obedient to what God was directing them to do and where to go. They had to worship God in his prescribed place among other worshipers of God. Did I say that? Where other worshipers of God are. Worship is not a do it as you please. It's not one of those selfie activities. You are to seek the place. It may not be easy to find the place where God wants you to worship, but it is out there. God has a place for you. And that's not by yourself in your home. It is with God's people. That is clear here in the scripture. It's with worshiping with other believers. There's a place where he wants you to worship and he has not called you to any kind of follow me in isolation mode. That is made up. That is not of the scripture. There you should take your burnt offering. That means all that list of things. This is where you are to come. This is where you're fellowshipping with other believers. And this is where you're bringing your tithes. This is where the offerings are. This is where you're coming. You don't get to choose uh, for the tithes where it goes. 
But we're talking, as you look at the context of the scripture, we're talking their tithes, that tenth, that everything of all the different offerings that he's listed here. So the place of worship was to be the place of atonement. This is place of confession. And remember, when they confessed, they laid their hands on the sacrifice that they brought to the priest. They put the hands on it where they sacrificed that uh, sacrificial victim. And that is how they had the confession and covering of their sins. And that's where the cleansing took place. Is it not when we come to church, aren't we coming? We bring our tithes, we bring our offerings, we come, we sit, we worship God, we sit there and we fellowship with other like believers and we sit there and God does a work in our hearts to cleanse our heart, to cleanse our lives because we got spotted up by the world and the things and the flesh that can come up at a moment's time and overwhelm you and you need to come and sit and be cleansed by the reading of the, uh, and the washing of the word of God. And be reminded as a believer you're forgiven. That he's already forgiven that. He has washed it as white as you as white as snow. But yes, you can get spotted up. Yes, you can fail. But they were to come and to bring that sacrifice and lay their hands on it and to let God covering. Jesus' blood covers us. For them, they did not have that. They had to bring that sacrifice there to a place. They couldn't sit, take their little lamb, perfect little lamb, and say it's perfect in their own eyes, and they're doing their own way, and they're at their house, and they do the sacrifice, and that says, that's good enough for me. No, no, you have to do it God's way. You don't get to do it your way, regardless of how you feel. But there you shall take your tithe. There the place of worship was to be a place of giving. Now, of course, there's other places to give. There's other places to give where Israelite could give and be generous. But giving, bringing your tithes had to be at the place of worship where God had appointed. Where God had called you to come and gather in fellowship. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, he says in the scripture we read. And that is a place of worship. It is to be a place of joyful fellowship where you're having even a, that's why I love the Father's Baker's ministry here. Because I, every time I just am reminded in the scripture how beautiful it is when the, God's people come together and they're fellowshipping before and after this, the, the reading of the word and a time of worshiping a song and you're fellowshipping and you're having a little something to share and stuff. That is to me, that is what the, we're talking about, true fellowship with believers. And we see it clearly in the scripture here. Now, not all as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. So we see here, when Moses wrote this thing, he's he's saying there's a time where people think what they're doing is right in their own eyes. And that's the challenge, because before Israel crossed over the Jordan, during the wilderness wanderings, each Israelite pretty much conducted their own worship as they pleased because there was no one place to gather. But God was not really pleased with this type of worship because it it left it up to pleasing themselves and pleasing, as, as God would say, pleasing them what they want to do and not concerned with what pleased God. And that's where finding yourself in your mind that you can just worship wherever you want to go, whatever you do. And yes, you can worship in that way. 
But that is not what God's talking about for you to be in fellowship with him because it's with the people, the, the church body. That is what real pure worship is. Because much of what we call worship in today's church really isn't worship. It is self-focused. What do I get out of it? Man-focused. It's all about me. Personal experience-focused. Oh, I just didn't get the experience. I didn't, I didn't get the, the feel. You know, you just, it, it, everyone's always have this, this sense of looking for some kind of experience. And if they didn't get that experience, then something's wrong. Instead of being God-focused. All of our music, worship music, needs to be God-focused. All of our conversation and our fellowship is we should be really bringing God into that conversation. And what does the Bible say about that conversation? When we're studying the Word, it needs to be about God. It doesn't need to be about anybody else but God. That is true worship. That is real, pure worship. But much of worship today is measured on how I feel instead of being measured by how God was honored and worshipped in that time. Singing should be congregational. But it should never be performed for the credit of the congregation. Oh, that's such remarkable singing, such remarkable, incredible playing of that instrument. That is amazing. Or being known as a musical performance. Did you see that performance by the worship band today? Man, that was just far out. That's not what it should be. That's a very poor achievement. Our singing should be such that God hears it with such pleasure. The playing of the instruments, the voice instruments coming out should bring such pleasure to God. It's not about us. It is all about him. Now, we continue here in verses 10 through 14. We now see the kind of the, what comes out of that real pure worship where we're in God's appointed place. And it will result in joy. That's what should result in There should be a great joy that comes if you're worshiping God in a real pure way. It says, but when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies around about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heath offerings of your hand, and all the choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your male and your female servants and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses, in one of your, tri of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. 
So this, this very particular place is very important to worship. The man who tells himself, I can worship just as well on the golf course or on the hunting stand is a man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Now, don't get me wrong. It's absolutely fine. You can worship God in the, on the golf course. And I probably the most praying you've ever done is when you golf because you're hoping for a miracle to get it out of the sand trap. You, you could be worshiping up on the, on the deer stand. I, I got that. You know, I know. It's just beautiful near the woods. And you're just lost. And it's just you and your Lord. I got that. But what the scripture is telling here, it is fine for you to do that. To worship him on the golf course. Or in the middle of the woods. But there also must be a specific place where he comes to worship with God's people. And that has to be priority. That has to be priority. If not, many people do not grow spiritually because they do not come to the place that God has led them to be part of the body of Christ and to worship and to serve and to be part of in that fellowship with other godly people. In that format. But you know, this whole trend, this whole, with the scripture here, the trend today is completely opposite of that. COVID is really caused to bring to light of the hearts of people that they don't understand the scripture. And they find that now they rather just do it from home. Now, some cannot leave their homes. They're, they're bedridden. Praise God for technology today. They're sick and they can't leave. Praise God for technology today. But I'm talking the majority of people who will go all week long every which way places, but then are too tired and can't go anywhere on a Sunday. That, that's a test for you. That's all. Let me just put it that way. That's a huge test for you in regards to that. Priority of God or not. But when you do gather, you're supposed to rejoice before the Lord your God. We're to worship at God's appointed place because he's marked it with joy. He says, you want to bring joy back in your life? You're having a difficult time this week. It's a very strict and you're being attacked and persecuted and stuff. You want joy? Come to the place that God has called you regardless of how you feel. Now, you know why I always say it. Because I know you can have the worst time of the week and if you can just cut to church and to be among with God's people and to worship your Lord and to serve and, and alongside other people and break bread together and all the, and pray and worship and all, you're going to lead joyfully in a healthy fellowship of like believers. It is a good thing to come and honor our God and and we should be done, do it with such pleasure and joy. All a Christian's duties should be done joyfully. But especially the work of praising the Lord, we should do that with great joy. We shouldn't have sorrows and downs trotted, you know, I'm joyful and I'm all excited, but when I walk in church, oh, I've got to look really kind of Eeyore-ish and walk in. Oh, it's a... 
the Lord's heavy on me, you know. No, no, no. We should be joyful. We're not to worship God in a half-hearted sort of way as if it were now our duty. It's not our duty. It is our a blessing and grace to that we can do it. That's why we should rejoice. The emphasis on shall or shows that it is rejoicing is a command. We're to command to rejoice. We see it in the New Testament. Rejoice always, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4.4. 4. If you can't rejoice out of feeling like it, then rejoice out of being commanded to do it. I don't feel like rejoicing. Well, understand God's asking you and commanding you. Rejoice. Rejoice. Then we see the practice. Because you can go to the right place. You can understand the fact that you can bring, God will bring joy to you when you come and gather in with his people and lift up your voices and worship him and, and seek after him. And you've gotten rid of anything and you're trying to come and you're just, I want nothing out of my, this out of my life, I want this out of my life. I don't want that God to control me anymore. I don't want this to f- bring fear into me and I don't want to feel like this. And I don't want, you can come there, but then you have to practice. And we see that in verse 15 through 28, that things permitted and prohibited regarding to the, these, the butchering of these animals and sacrificing of animals and respecting the sanctity of blood. We see this all through 15 through 28. But let me just highlight a few things here because you may slaughter and eat meat within the, all your gates because he's bringing an emphasis during this ancient times that this ancient world, almost every time an animal was butchered, it was a sacrifice to a God here. The Lord made it clear that it's not every slaughtered animal was considered a sacrifice to him because it became a ritual. It became something that was not of God. It starts off here in verse 15. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates. Whatever your heart desires according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you, the unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. So for those who say, can you eat meat? Boy, they must have been really excited at this point in time because you can eat meat. You just can't eat with the blood. You had to make sure it was properly drained and get the blood out of the animal before you cook the meat. That's why when they brought the sacrifice, they, they drained properly the blood before they put it on the altar. We also say you might not eat within your, your gates the tithe, the first, their firstlings in your herd, your free will offerings or the heath offerings, as we see in the same thing. It mentions these, but the animals were offered as a sacrifice. Even if the offer was to eat a portion, could only be killed at God's appointed place of worship. You must, as you come to the place, and you must now practice or do what God says and how you are to worship, how you are to bring the sacrifice, how you were to then kill the sacrifice, making sure there was no blood attached into it and drained properly. 
And we see in the scripture here, we must do it what is right in the sight of the Lord, not in the sight of our own sight of what we think. At there in verse 20 at the very end, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord our God, that is what we do as we practice, we observe, we're obedient to the words which I command you, that you come and when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord, your, your God, while you come to worship at this place, bringing your sacrifice, you are not to do certain things. You are to do certain things when you come into this place. I, I, as I pondered on all those verses, and you can go back and read those through for sake of time, but sometimes we, we can come to church There are things that are very obvious as we come to seek after God and we come into the fellowship with like believers, into the place where God's called you into stuff. You, you need to really ask God, what do you want me to do at this place of worship? He's calling us to worship in song. It's calling us to study the word and ponder on the word and share the word of God with one another. The apostles' doctrine. We're to pray for you, with you, one another, for one another. We're to break bread together. There's times to serve God in the body to serve others who are, who are in need. To teach. Just to listen. To serve. To be served. Because there are times where you just need to sit and let God use people in your life to help you. Because you're too weak. To share the gospel for those who come into the fellowship for the first time and they don't know Christ. To encourage those back to come back to the foot of Christ because they have fallen. They, they need to be restored and they need to come back. All that dynamic is we have to understand when we come, Lord, what do you want me to do? Not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. What do you want me to do within the body? I've come to be equipped, yes. I've come to be encouraged, yes. I've come to serve, yes. But how do I give? How can I help some other, some others? And then take that and everyone's healthy and go out into this fallen world around us and share the gospel and encourage our brothers and sisters in the faith. How do we take that and go out into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into our family circles? How do we go out there and be salt and light? That's, an, that's what takes place on times when we gather together here in this place in his name. We see in verse 29 through 32 that the worship of God must be pure. It can't be just half-hearted. It can't be corrupt in any way. It has to be pure. It says right here, when the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to uh, disposes, and you displace them and, and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself. That you are not ensnared to follow them. After they are destroyed from before you, 
and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I also would, will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, that you have done to their, to their, to their gods, for they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take it away take from it so Israel was commanded to guard themselves as they're going out into the world as they're going out and and doing what God's called them to do that we're out and about with the people who are not like-minded they're not following the Lord God he said he said very clearly take heed this is very serious to guard yourself against sinful curiosity Don't be so curious, sinful curiosity, because that will lead you down a path that very quickly that you're just going to, your head's going to spin. So the warning's right there. Israel was commanded to guard themselves against sinful curiosity of what these other things are going on in the world around you. What these other nations were doing and how they were serving their gods. And this is the old proverb you've always, all of us have heard, right? Curiosity killed the cat you've heard that old proverb right the old worldly proverb but ungodly curiosity also killed many spiritual lives so we just don't you've heard me say it all the time you do not have to go experience or go check it out because out of curiosity what is it that that world's doing you don't need to know it you don't need to go touch it because what happens is once you take the first step it's like oh and it's like this little catch and then it's a hook and then it takes you to the, oh how and then all of a sudden you find yourself down this road so quickly like, what what happened because you were curious and we must learn to grow so the spirit of god gives you that check in your in your spirit that says i do not need to understand and know what the worldly things are going on. I just know the Lord just says, don't touch him. <laughs> don't go down there. You don't need to open up the door. The Spirit of God will speak to you. You shall not worship the Lord your God that way. He says, don't, don't think you can just come in and worship him however you want to. Many churches today are so sinfully tainted in so many worldly ways we're not to come and worship God in those ways God would not accept just any offering of worship he had to be worshiped in spirit and truth you know what was happening and yes and this is tragic history for Israel But Israel got wrapped up in the God of Moloch. And if you know the the history of Moloch, that was a wicked, wicked, demonic practice of worship where the Canaanites offered up their children by placing them alive on a burning hot metal statue of Moloch. And they would play worship and drums and all kinds of music to drown out the screaming of the tortured infants. 
And the Israelites got messed up with that. Multiple examples in the scriptures. Kings and others that are high got messed up with the worship of the foreign gods. That's why God was warning them, don't go messing around there. Just destroy it. Or it'll hook you. I love that part here in the way we just read. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it, to do it. The standard for worship was reflecting in God's word. God's word said this, that we must do. It's a form of worship. We must do it. Not human preferences, not human opinions or feelings. It's not my opinion. I worship my God based on his word. And that's why you have to be grounded in his word. We see here in chapter 13, we, said, we see that they're going to be protected against all this enticement that the, this world was going to offer Israel as they come into the promised land. And it says in verses 1 through 3, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you, notice that, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So sometimes many people, oh, I have, I'm a, I have dreams all the time, and this God gives me dreams. And, and you'll hear that from some people at times, oftentimes, but not. But anyway, the bottom line is, there's nothing new under the sun. If you go back into, remember, Numbers chapter 12, verse 6, or Genesis 37, verses 5 through 11, or they could be false prophecies we see in Jeremiah 23, verses 25 and 26, we have to be very careful. To not put much stock into dreams. Instead, allow God to bring confirmation by and through his word to any dream we believe brings a message from God. I think that dream was from God. What do you think, Pastor? Well, does it line it up with the word of God? Let's, talk, let's take it there first. Because that, if it conflicts with the word of God in any form or fashion, it's not from God. Regardless of how you feel and regardless of whoever gave you the dream. Or, prophet, or prophecy. Test all things by the word of God. To any dream or any prophet. Because we understand the word of God is our basis. Moses warned the people that there may arise from among them prophets or workers of signs who could also produce a sign or wonder in front of them. And Moses here is warning them. Deuteronomy 18.22 tells what to do with a prophet who speaks a word and it does not come to pass. But this passage tells us to do with a prophet who speaks a word and it comes to pass. But they then speak against what God has already revealed in his word. 
That's the thing that sometimes gets people a little challenged. If a prophet says this will happen, it doesn't happen, they're supposed to, <laughs> in those days, they died. But when a prophet said something and it did come to pass, but their, what they say and their actions go against the word of God after that, they are not to be trusted. So it's important we always take whatever some people saying to you or you're reading and someone teaches you something about a prophetic thing or something about a dream. You need to test all things with the scripture. You have to have that spiritual discernment that God gives you by the spirit of God lives, with, lives within you. Because you have to understand signs and wonders can never be the evidence of truth or God's hand. It's always based on the scripture. Because those who are immediately convinced at the sight of some supernatural power and the, or reality at some danger of great deception, we see in 2 Thessalonians 2.9, reminds us that coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Satan has the ability and to empower to bring these kinds of things. That's why we don't chase experiences and signs and wonders and dreams. Because you could be absolutely deceived. That is why Jesus said, And these signs will follow those who believe. Mark 16, 17. Signs are to follow believers instead of believers following signs. There is a difference. Signs are to follow believers. When God's doing work through their lives, there are going to be incredible things that are going to happen. Beautiful. But when instead where believers are following signs, that is not good. But he says, you shall not listen to the words of prophet or dreamer of dreams. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to these these. Godly, you know, this ungodly things that are coming, but godly discernment is always carefully examining the message of a spiritual leader. What is that spiritual leader really saying in line with the scripture? That is what you're always asking. Instead of the spiritual experiences which may surround him or her. And many times you... People are looking for the experience around that person and they follow that. That is not godly. That's why we can understand why God warns us of this because so many deceivers to, are out there existing among the people trying to lead them to follow them and, and do this. And what the, It's interesting, the scripture here says that the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God or, with all your heart. God allows these, these people to not just stop them breathing, but to allow them to test his people. Are you discerned? Are you discerning? Are you understanding? Are you chasing experience? And will you follow that person? Or are you going to follow me? Is that going to become now a priority and follow that person, what he says? And you listen, and like he's some kind of God or declares himself to be in a godly position, a person from God? Or are you going to listen to God's words? You're going to follow me. 
And it's a test. It's, it's, it's a test to see if we, they, we really love the God of truth or just merely seeking after signs and experiences. In verse 4, we see the penalty of this deceiver. You shall walk with the Lord your God in fear and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast him. But the prophet or the dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the, from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. Bottom line in, put away any form of evil among your, uh, um, from your midst. Because these deceivers are going to come into your life. They're going to try to succeed in uh, causing you to stray and to walk away from God's truth, from God's word specifically, and that cannot happen. It cannot be allowed. You have to protect yourself and not allow this world to entice you or anything in the form of religiosity that is these false prophets and false teachers and stuff and false worships and, and these latest gimmicks and whatever it takes to get you to get you to, to hook you to take you away from the truth of God. And you've got to be warned on that. We see here in verse 6 through 11 a uh, what happens if it's a relative who's the deceiver? Look what happens here. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is as your own soul secretly entices you, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far away, far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. And you shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as this among you. So what happens if the deceiver... What happens if you're, you're, you're the one being deceived by your own family and the ones who are so close to you? It's like who is your own soul, but they're secretly trying to draw you away from just saying focused on the Lord. Uh, you know, it's, it's family. You know, family's more important than, than the, what you're doing with God. Take it or leave it. You don't be so devoted. I mean, it's all these little subtle things, but they're just enticing. You're always trying to get you away. Why is every time, they always say practical things. You always ask your non-believing family, why do they always hold the parties on Sunday? <laughs> you know, why is everything, when you, you know, they know you're serving God. You know you're going to church, but that's when they always have it. And then they make you feel like you have to choose between going to church. You can do that anytime, but it's only a birthday party. It only happens once a year for the six-month-old. Who doesn't know it's their birthday, you know. 
But it's those little subtle enticements that causes you to be trying to be pulled away from what God has called you to do. But this is even more serious. They're talking about deceiving you to a point where you don't need to walk with God the way God says for you to walk. That's how serious this is. They're enticing you to no longer walk in obedience to the word of God, to compromise. And what happens if it's a family member? Well, here in those days, because God was not only, for the nation of Israel, not only head of, from a, a spiritual perspective, but they're also over the civil law. They did everything. They had the ability to do capital punishment. And in this case, if you were being enticed and you know it, you were to be the first one to pick up the stone and start stoning them. And the rest of the community come in and absolutely stone. That is in that time. But Jesus says it in an interesting way in the New Testament. In Matthew 10.37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So even Jesus made it clear, you cannot justify not being obedient to God because of what your family says. Even if you love them, it, it, it doesn't, should not become a higher priority of love than the love for God. And that's why it brings to mind the words Jesus said in Matthew 18, 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, some people say the Old Testament and rocks and killing people with rock, and then how can they punish like that? That's Is that Jesus? That Jesus would never do that. I just told you what Matthew said, what Jesus' word said. It would be better. They never even lie because they're gonna they're gonna drown. If they go and try to stop someone of pursuing me. That's how serious it is. Many modern researchers and pundits say that the capital punishment is no determent or deterrent to crime. And I always say, that's not what the scripture says. God says it is a deterrent if it's properly practiced. It is a deterrent because the Bible tells me so. Verse 14 in the very verse here says how to deal with reports of a city given over to idolatry. It says right here, if you hear someone in one of your cities which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in says corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of, this, of their city saying let us go and serve other gods which you have not known then you shall inquire, search out and ask diligently. I like this because sometimes people can be too quick based on just a rumor or hearsay or secondhand. God says, before you declare that this city has gone idolatry and is turned over to pagan worships and stuff, you need to first do your homework and inquire and research and ask diligently before you respond and turn that city over. Why is that important? Because look what happens when, if it truly is an idolatry city, look what happens here in the end of verse 14 and 8 through 18. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, 
You shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword and utterly destroy it, all that is in it and its livestock on the edge of the sword. And you shall gather all its plunder into the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and all its plunder for the Lord your God it shall be a heap forever it shall not be built again so none of the accused things shall remain in your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy have compassion on you and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments which I command you today to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. We see here in these verses that the word abomination is, is this gross, offensive idolatry um, that, is, that turns against the nature of God, turns against what God stands for. Daniel and in the New Testament, the word here is the phrase is the abomination of desolation, which is the ultimate uh, idolatry that the Antichrist will come about in the end times, halfway through the, the uh, tribulation. But it established this idolatrous image of, of just this taking this holy place and this, 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 what God is, is coveting of what he wants and what is this real perfect worship. And then these people coming in and just decimating it and turning it against and away from the, the, the way, the truth, and the life of who Christ is or who God is in, in, as a whole. But this, this is just this coming in, this penalty for the city will be the fact that they will be utterly destroyed. If you've ever been to Israel, you'll see these tells. The tells is these, 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 when a city was destroyed by the enemy or because of idolatrous, they leveled that thing. And then dirt and stuff was piled on. And then it wasn't until uh, that, you know, if it's, a, if it's the enemy conquering, then they would rebuild once the enemy's gone. They would rebuild and then that would, war would come and conquer it and it would be flattened. And you would look at Israel, you see these tells, these little, these like, what is that? Well, how did that get built? Why would they build it that way? You realize it was over the thousands of years. It's literally just war after war after war after war. And they just leveled the cities and built on top. Leveled the cities and built on top. Leveled the cities and built on top. Here, God's word says, it will be in, no longer. It will just be covered by the dirt. And nothing can be rebuilt in that or on that place. It's just a heap. It's literally a tell, telling of, of a, certainly of a story as well, but it is certainly telling that this is going to be a heap forever, God says, and it shall not be built again. Why? Because they went against God. We must at the very end, he says, I command you today to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. That is a very beautiful final saying here in this part of this chapter of chapter 13 because it demonstrates that it, the Israelites were never to regard an ethnic or national bonds greater than the bonds that are tied to the Lord God. So many people will put all kinds of the uh, culture and company and and, and racial and all kinds of things that will divide you and keep you from walking totally for the Lord. 
And we cannot have those gods. We can't have those places to become so important in our lives that it distracts us and keeps us from serving and loving God. And this chapter asks a very important question, and I'll leave it with you. What would it take to lead you away from God? What would it take? Would signs and wonders do it? What if your mate forsook God? Would that cause you to walk away from God? How about your family and your friends? That they don't want anything to do with you anymore. Would that cause you to walk away from God? What if your company tells you you can't? Causes you to compromise the word of God. Would that cause you to walk away from God? What culture, what country, what the country, if your country tells you you can't worship God any longer, would that cause you to walk away from God? We must never allow such ties to become before our bond with Jesus. You cannot allow it. We must, my brothers and sisters, stay focused on the real pure worship.